It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nelson, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Both on and off the field, here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. Happy holidays. Hope you had a great Christmas. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, getting you ready for week 17. We are headed up to New Year's, a New Year's Eve game at NRG Stadium, second to last week of the year. Texans control their own destiny to get into the postseason. I think we all would have signed up for this before the season started, so let's get after it here. The Titans coming to town for the home finale for the Texans, the Colts the following week, and we're going to get you ready for everything having to do with Sunday's upcoming game against the Titans. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, joined as always by my co-host, my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, I just said it. Like, and I know that the Texans have lost two out of their last three. And we'll get to the injury updates here in just a second. But big picture here, while we're still licking our wounds from the loss to Cleveland and the loss to the Jets two week before that, two weeks before that, the Texans are still sitting in a pretty darn good spot heading into Sunday. I would say, even if they don't make the playoffs, the season's been an amazing success. If they beat the Titans, they'll have a winning record, and they've won seven games the last two years, eleven over the last three years. And what D'Amico Ryans has done his first season has been fantastic. So they need to beat the Titans. I'm fired up about this game because C.J. Stroud's back, and they're still not at 100% health, but most teams are not. And they hope for that last game against the Colts, they will be even healthier. But uh, it's going to be exciting. They they haven't – boy, the Titans don't win here. The Titans win here, and the Texans win up there. They need to break – this streak, and there's a good chance we're going to see Ryan Tannehill. He's never lost here. Well, okay, so let's start there because yeah, you're right. There's not much to talk about with C.J. Stroud other than the fact that seeing footage of him at practice yesterday made me feel very warm and fuzzy. I like seeing C.J. back out there soft-tossing with his teammates, but it looks almost assuredly like he's going to play unless there's some sort of setback. We saw Michael Pittman Jr. last week who had been cleared to play for the Colts. He had a setback, so we can't just cash our chips here yet and say it's uh, it, it's going to be CJ for sure on Sunday, but it's certainly pointing in that direction. Will Levis was a full participant at practice yesterday for the Titans, John, but you think Ryan Tannehill may start this game. That's what people up there are telling me. Uh, and the thing, the thing about uh, Stroud is he's D'Amico said he's in the fourth level of the protocol, which means you're out there going through limited participation, throwing the ball around and the non-contact. Well, nobody has contact practice. 
especially at this time of year. And then the last one is you go through a full practice, which would be today, non-contact. Well, they don't have non-contact. They don't even do long practices at this time of the year. It's all mental. It's all walkthroughs and making sure you've got your assignments and the busted assignments you had versus Cleveland, you don't repeat them. So it's fairly easy. But like you said, what Pittman had last week after he'd been cleared and everybody sees enough play, he started getting dizzy. And before uh, Stroud can be cleared, the team doctor and independent neurologist from the NFL has to clear him. And they that's what happened with Pittman. And then all of a sudden he had that setback you talked about. So it's not guaranteed. You know, they're hoping he's going to play. They're planning on him to play. But we're not going to know until he gets out there and takes his first nap. No, yeah, absolutely not. So, um so hope, fingers crossed that we get the version of C.J. Stroud that made him such a prohibitive favorite for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, John, as far as other injuries go, it looks like Blake Cashman is back practicing. That's good news for the linebacking core in this game. Um, and we're going to get into this game more specifically in the six-pack here in just a little bit. This is going to be a catch-all episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Since we didn't do a Tuesday episode, we're going to get some news and notes from John. We're going to get a mailbag from you guys. We're going to get for real or Fugazis, and obviously we'll preview the game um, between the Titans and the Texans. Not necessarily in the order I just laid it out either, by the way. <laughs> I was just kind of spitballing. Um, so um, so you're going to get the, the, full, the, the full crux of everything here, Texans-related. Um, but Blake Cashman back. John, I'm really concerned about these two defensive ends, though, Will Anderson and Jonathan Grenard. And I know Will missed the first Titans game. It's going to be awfully tough to see them replicating what they did as a – front four with seven sacks and 12 TFLs if both of their defensive ends are out for this game. Yeah, no kidding. They manhandle Will Levis. is the most physical game I've ever seen the Texans play. Seven sacks, 12 tackles for loss. They knocked down Levis 11 times, and they did it without Anderson. Derek Barnett played great. And in the last game, he was one of the few players I thought that played well. So to bringing him in, a former number one pick of the Eagles, and him fitting in there, Matt Burke's done a tremendous job coaching him and uh, preparing him as he has all those players. But if they're missing both of them, and it's a bad time for Jonathan Grenard to get hurt when he's ready to put on that stretch drive and up his salary demands in the offseason, he can't have the problems happen to him the first three get hurt and miss multiple games. But – um, I think that we're pretty sure that Derrick Henry will rush for more than nine yards and Hopkins will have more than two catches. Yeah, I would say that I take the over on both of those as well. John, as far as other injuries go um, for the Texans, there's plenty that we could get into here, but I'm just trying to stick to the main ones. Um, Jimmy Ward is done for the season. Jimmy Ward had a, a, a really a third kind of just soft tissue type injury. This time it was a quad that he suffered in the loss to the Cleveland Browns early in that game. Um, and an old face is coming back to replace him. But we'll get into Jimmy Ward in one of the future segments here that we've got. Um, but as far as the return of Kareem Jackson, kind of nice, John. Uh, forget about the fact that Kareem's a familiar face who still lives in Houston in the offseason. Um, but the fact that a player at Kareem's level, not a pro bowler or anything like that, but a very, very competent pro is available at this stage of the season to replace Jimmy Ward is is pretty fortuitous, I would say, for the Texans, wouldn't you? The reason it happened, he's 35 years old. He's been suspended. The league's watching him like crazy. But he doesn't play special teams. And, and uh, there were certain things that they needed him to do that 35-year-old safeties don't do. So they just cut him. And uh, Texans, they need – he'll play in this game. You know, it's not a whole lot – 
They had to teach him about the game plan. Adrian Amos came in off the street, and he's played in two games. So you got two guys who are 30 and 35 or 31 and 35 at safety, and Ward's on the upside of 32. And so they've got to contribute something because safety's not played well. Led by Jalen Petrie, he got benched last week. And when you get benched, when your safeties are playing as bad as they are, and, and in total fairness, the corners got beat too by Joe Flacco. That was a terrible game all around for the defensive backs. And it started up front, of course. But they've got to bounce back, and they've got to get pressure. You don't want Adrian Amos and – Kareem Jackson and DeAndre Houston Carson on the back end to get burned deep. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean Jalen Petrie to me is the story out of all of what you just said. He got benched in a game that Jimmy Ward had left with an injury. Like that's how bad it was. They, you know, they just I think it's it probably it's probably a cumulative thing with Jalen for the whole season. It wasn't just hey he didn't go help DeAndre or D'Angelo Ross on that deep shot to Amari Cooper. Jalen's had a rough year all year long, other than a few good games. He was really good against the Titans. I thought in week 15, I thought things were looking up for him. And then it's the exact opposite. He gets benched um, for a guy who plays a hundred percent of the snaps routinely for the Texans. Like that's yeah. not an exaggeration. He never leaves the field. And uh, D'Amico's like, Oh, we just got into a little bit of a rotation. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> D'Amico Ryan's and Matt Burke are going to have to take a long, close look at the way they're asking Jalen Petrie to play yeah. in their system. Yeah. And what he needs to be is around the line of scrimmage where he can blitz, where he can hit people, play the run, play people in the middle of the field. He's yeah. not a guy to go cover people on deep plays. He That's not what he excelled at at Baylor. They got to take a long look at what they're asking him to do. All right. That's where we're at with the Texans right now. Obviously a practice today. We're recording this on a Thursday. So we got a practice today, a practice tomorrow. Um, but fingers crossed that CJ Stroud will be playing this Sunday. All right, John, speaking of CJ Stroud, you got some news and notes for us here today. I do. Uh, CJ averages 279.3 yards a game. That is second to Tua Tungavaloa's 280.9. Now, if he had played these last two games and he had hit his average in those two games, he would have 4,189 yards. That would be second to Tua Tungavaloa's 4,214 which means he would have been, let's see, 14, 25 yards from being the first rookie since Davey O'Brien in 1939 to lead the NFL in yards. Not going to happen now, of course, but that just shows you how great he was. And when he went out, they were second to the 49ers in plays of 25 or more yards. Now they're second to the 49ers with 39 pass plays of 25 or more yards. The 49ers have 44. And um, Case Keenum had one on that play to Devin Singletary in overtime at Tennessee. So they're still second in the pass plays of 25 or more. And they've got three more than Dallas. Now, Dak Prescott's been healthy all season. He's got C.D. Lamb. They have 36-3 behind the Texans. Now, the Texans have had 10 100-yard receiving games. Okay. That sounds okay. That sounds fine to me. Good. But that's tied for the most in the NFL with Miami, who has Tyreek Hill and and Jalen Waddle. Yeah. And C.J. Stroud needs in the one of these last two games, Sean, at least 300 yards and two touchdowns mm-hmm. to become the first rookie to achieve that in NFL history. Right now, he's tied with five games of at least 300 yards and two touchdowns with Andrew Luck. 
and Justin Herbert. And I've got one more in his 13 games. CJ has 61 completions of at least 20 yards. Those earlier stats were 25, the 61 of at least 20. And uh, he is second in the NFL, despite missing two games to Brock Purdy, who has 70. And I'm guessing a lot of Purdy's were yak. Yeah. Catch he hit those guys and they, they did all the running, yeah. but it just shows how amazing that he is. And one throwaway doesn't have anything to do with the Texan side of the ball but it will be for Sunday. DeAndre Hopkins, who had two catches for 21 yards in the first game, he needs 61 yards to reach 1,000. That'd be the seventh time in his career, first time since 2020. And, of course, he had five with the Texans, second most in team history, and Andre Johnson, who is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the third year in a row. And if he get a better presenter, he might actually get in. Yeah, I know. We got to work on that presenter thing. For those that are new to the podcast, John presents Andre each year, and I'm sure does an amazing job, but it's just hard. There's a log jam at wide receiver right now, and it's tough to get a guy in. All right, John, you just dropped a lot of numbers there, and I just wanted to react to a couple of them. One, there's a chance that the Dolphins are all locked up with whatever it is their playoff fate is by week 18, so they could rest to a tongue of Iowa in week 18 or only playing for a half or something like that. So maybe that opens the door for – CJ to possibly lead the league. You said he'd lead the league in passing yards if he were to get. Uh, well, that's his... if he had if he had played these last two and hit his oh, average of two seventy nine. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Then okay, he well, would then be at no four thousand one hundred eighty nine, and two has four thousand two hundred. I, I, I got you. So he's got no shot. No, I got he's you. got no shot. Okay. Um. The other thing, I was very surprised to hear that the Texans are still ranked up that highly with explosive plays considering their offense has felt like anything but being explosive. And that includes a game with CJ against the New York jets. Like it, the, and I'll tell you, John, my, well, I'm just making sure I'm not hijacking a future segment here. No, I'm not. Um, how concerned are you that the Texans uh, have generated very, very little offense since tank Dell went out early in the Denver game. And I know well, there's a couple case Keenum games in there, but there's some CJ games in there too. So how big a concern? CJ had his, was he was as bad against the Jets, which was a driving rainstorm, as he was at Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it was after that Carolina loss on the last play that he said he wanted to start having explosive plays. And to his credit, Bobby Slowick made sure he changed the offense. Now he's got Nico Collins back. He's got Noah Brown. He's got Dalton Schultz. So I think he's still going to be good. I think he's going to be prolific. But the key is. Can they protect him? That's what they've not been able to do. He has been sacked nine, 10, 13 times in his last three games, nine in his last two games, and that was a problem early in the season. And then they went eight games, giving up only 11 sacks. So whatever they're doing, I don't know if it's the offensive line just getting physically defeated or if uh, it has something to do with things they've discovered with Stroud. But the Titans, they got a good pass rush. They're one of the – even without Jeffrey Simmons, they've been terrific at getting the passer. And Danico Autry just worked over Juice Scruggs two weeks ago for two yeah. sacks. They got to do something about Autry to tackle, who I think has 12 and a half sacks. And then you got Harold Landry with nine and a half on the outside. So they have to protect Stroud better. And when I asked D'Amico Ryans on – Wednesday, what is he going to be looking for when Stroud gets on the field for the first time? Because practice is one thing when you're coming off a concussion. The first thing he said, protecting him. 
Yeah, absolutely. That was a good question. I, that, that, I was thinking the same thing, John. Like protecting him, obviously, is what you're looking for. But it sounded like what you were driving at is just behaviorally with CJ. Like, does he look out of sorts? Does he, you know, is, is he is he making his reads? All that. Those are the things I'm very curious to see. Not only because he was concussed, but he's he hasn't really done much in, in a few weeks. You know, he hasn't practiced. So is there going to be some rust? I'd rather have a rusty CJ Stroud out there than a fully engaged, healthy Case Keenum or Davis Mills. But it, this could be a game where, you know, taking the – if you're a betting person, maybe taking the Titans in the first quarter of this game, you know, whatever the spread is, might be the right thing. The Texans are a slow starting team, even with a healthy Yes, they are. They so are terrible that, in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah. So that that may be something to look at if you can uh, if you're a Texan fan who can disengage from the emotional part of the game and be hardcore cutthroat business, betting the Titans in the first quarter might be the, the proper call. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, good general news and notes there, John. Let's get to the six-pack. Let's preview this game, and then we'll get to some mailbag questions and some for real or fugazis as we do a a jumbo-sized episode of the Utopia Football Podcast here. John, Titans, Texans, let's lay the groundwork here. Spread opened at about a field goal in this game. Three and a half Texans was the first spread that I saw at the beginning of the week. It has since moved, last I checked, to Texans minus five and a half in this game on the heels of C.J. Stroud actually getting out there on the practice field. Who knows, maybe when he gets cleared fully in the concussion protocol, the thing goes up to six or seven. Um, Who knows? Uh, That feels like a big number, though, given how the Texans have played offensively the last few games with and without C.J. Stroud. Noon kick, Sports Radio 610, 9 a.m. Texans countdown. John McClain joins us at 1115 on Texans countdown with me and Seth Payne. And it's week 17. One more game to go after that with the Indianapolis Colts. And again, the playoff scenario is if the Texans win these last two games, they're in the postseason. But we'll be keeping an eye on the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers because if the Jags slip up and the Texans win out, then the Texans will win the division in D'Amico Ryan's first year. This is all still in play here in Week 17, which is what's made this season so much fun. So, John, let's do the six-pack here. Uh, Six people, players, coaches, storylines that are going to impact this game, and then we'll give our prediction on the game for this Sunday. You go first. Well, obviously, CJ's most important player for the Texans. When he comes out, you know, I'm sure Bobby Slowick wants that back foot. When it hits the ground, he wants him to throw it. Stroud likes to hold it a little bit so he can throw it down the field. He'll be looking down the field as always, but I would say as long as he doesn't turn it over, and he still doesn't turn it over. He has the second-best touchdown-to-interception ratio in the NFL. So if he were to come out and throw a couple of interceptions, everybody's going to freak out. But hopefully he comes out and he doesn't, and he builds a little confidence, maybe throwing a few short passes, but he doesn't want to turn it over. I think if they don't turn it over, they're going to win this game. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I hope that that's the I hope that that's the case. And obviously, protecting CJ is a huge thing, as you pointed out um, a few minutes ago. And they'll be doing that with a uh, an offensive line that I, I I mean, it looked like Charlie Heck played most of the last game, and George Fant was on an exercise bike for the the entirety of the game. And it sounded like from the the practice, the you know the first string that was running out there at practice on Wednesday included Charlie Heck. So it looks like Charlie Heck has supplanted George Fant at right tackle, John. Is that what you're kind of Last week, Fant yeah. was full participation in practice coming back from that injury, and I know the coaches loved him. Now, Fant played well in his first game. He made some mistakes, but I don't think he played very well against the Browns, but I don't think anybody Heck, you mean, you said, you played said very you well. Mean, you, you meant Heck. Heck, said, yeah, yeah. yeah. Heck, I think he struggled against the Browns, yeah. and just like almost every player did. And when you see that score – 36-22, it's so misleading because they oh, just yeah. no, that game, John, that, butt-handed that game, to them. Yeah, no, that that game, the, the, you know, score-wise, that game was reminding me of that Bears game a few years ago in Chicago, which I think Ooh. the final score was 36-7 to or 39-7. to And when that that Texans, you know, when the game at NRG was 36-7 on Sunday, I'm like, yeah, this is a this is a, this is a blowout by a, guy, a quarterback who had been kind of forgotten by everybody. You know, Trubisky a few years ago and now Flacco. Um, this time around, Joe Flacco was tremendous in that game on uh, on Sunday. You All know, right, my... he's already won as many games this season as he won the last four. Wow, that's crazy, man! I bet the Jets wish they had him. Well, they're saying they're not having any regrets. So you give sure me a break. Sure, they're not. Break. He was in the building last year. You could have had him again. He could have used the same locker if he wanted to. <laughs> um, all right, John, my first six-pack bottle here is the Texans defensive line, which is a big worry as you and I are recording this here. The both both defensive ends, as we talked about, are banged up. Jonathan Grenard wasn't even at practice yesterday. Will Anderson not participating in practice. I don't anticipate either of those guys playing in this game. So you're going to have – Old Jerry Hughes and old Derek Barnett, both I think they both got about 79-80% of the snaps against Cleveland. Um, so it's going to look a little different this time around. Jonathan Grenard was a monster in that first game. With no Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard was a monster in that game two weeks ago. Um, so normally I would say, well, it's really going to fall on the interior of the defensive line to set the tone. Well, both of those guys missed practice on Wednesday. Now, hopefully both of them are back, and that's just managing some older players you know, bumps and bruises here. Hopefully that's the case. But the defensive line was the tone setter two weeks ago with the performance they had against Derrick Henry. And I think they're going to need to do that again today. Derrick Henry's a proud dude. I'm guessing he's coming in trying to look a whole lot like the Derrick Henry we were used to seeing before week 15 of this season. Maybe they should put Khalil Davis outside. They won't. But every time the guy plays, he makes a play. Kern Heinish comes off the bench. He's he's good for a player too every game. Mm -hmm. The interior defensive line has been outstanding. Their improvement against the run, they shut down everybody's run. They shut down the Browns' run. I think they're going to shut down the Titans again. It'll come down to whether it's Tannehill or Levis is going to have to throw the ball. They're just not going to get the pressure without Grenard and Anderson. Derek Barnett's from Nashville, yeah. and he went to the University of Tennessee, so maybe he'll be extra fired up like he was in his first start two weeks ago. You know, they're also missing their fourth-round pick, Dylan Horton, who's on IR, who flashed when he got opportunities. And they need Jerry Hughes to play the best game of the season. Because at 35, he hasn't done much. It's probably going to be his last year in the NFL. Yeah. They need him to come up big. Do we see Tier Tart for the first time? I think we will. And yet, how many tackles can you suit up? Heinish isn't going anywhere. And Khalil Davis isn't going anywhere. And Tier Tart hates the Titans because he let his contract 
uh, be a distraction. And he talked mm-hmm. about it too much and he didn't put out and they cut him. And I can't imagine why you would claim the guy if you didn't plan on using him. So I think yeah. we'll see him in on some uh, rundowns. All right. What's your next one, John, in the six pack here? I think it's got to be the secondary that just got burned big time by Joe Flacco. The corners all got beat. Derek, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. has been playing great. He got beat once, although they were trying to throw away from him since he doesn't cover the top receiver all over the field. Steven Nelson got beat one time. Uh, Desmond King, all of them. Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper. If they could have just done, done something about Amari Cooper, it'd been a great defensive game. Mm-hmm. But they were totally, totally taken advantage of. So the secondary, whether it's Levis, who likes to go deep, or Tannehill, who played horribly before getting hurt, you know he's itching to come back here and play well where he has never lost. And uh, so I think throwing the ball down the field, DB's got to make a, a significant improvement. Tannehill's never lost at NRG Stadium? No, he's played here three times. He's won all three. Oh, that's he's only won one up there, and that was overtime in, uh, yeah. I, I think, 2020. Yeah. Oh, that disgusts me. Okay. Um John, my next one in the six-pack is Devin Singletary in the run game. They're 3-0 and this year when Devin Singletary runs for more than 100 yards, the last one being two weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans. And I think what interests me the most, I think it's been established now that Devin Singletary is going to be the bell cow for this team moving forward. Last week, he led the team in carries. It was only nine carries, but that's because the game was so out of hand early on. You could tell this was going to be a game where they were going to have to throw the football. And they got behind by two, three scores, and then the, the running game was just out the window at that point. Um, but I'll be real interested to see, you know, with, with CJ under center, how effective the Texans are running the football against the very same defense with Devin Singletary. A lot was made by former players like Clint Sterner and Seth Payne. A lot was made by Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans about how maybe having Case Keenum under center in that Tennessee game was one of the reasons why the running game thrives so well, just getting the team in the right getting the team in the right formations, understanding what the the scheme was going on across the line of scrimmage from them, that maybe Case Keenum's acumen and brain power was what helped open things up for Devin Singletary. Um, so, I look, this isn't me saying I'd rather have Case Keenum starting against the Titans on Sunday. I wouldn't. But I'm just anxious to see if they're able to run the ball as effectively two weeks later against the same defense that Singletary really carried the offense in two or against two weeks ago i'm pretty sure that's not going to happen mike brable's too good of a coach when jeff jeffrey simmons played they're one of the best teams in the nfl against the run now they're they're in the middle of the pack but they got a lot of pride they know they got physically beaten up front i think they're going to have a game plan designed specifically to stop singletary i wish we had thought about putting damian pierce on kickoff returns because he's a straight ahead guy who can run over people and he showed that better late than never think of him as a kickoff returner but it's going to come down to stroud having to throw the ball because i think both teams are going to shut down the run all right so with that in mind, John, what's your final six-pack item? My final six-pack item is going to be the guy that won the game with a 50-yard field goal with no time left. These two teams played the most one-score games in the NFL. The Texans, have of their last 11, nine have been by seven or fewer. Eight have been by six or fewer. Five have been by three or fewer. The difference is the Texans have had a winning record in those games. Titans have had a losing record. So there's a good chance it's going to be close again. And therefore, Kaimi Fairbairn, who you had 
as one of your picks before the last game two weeks ago. I'm having Kaimi because I think it's going to be close. I think he's going to have to kick some field goals. Yeah, I think so too. I, I was you, you, you kind of stole mine, but I've got a backup, John. So no, no problems there. But um, next man up. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> as far as items in the six pack, I'll go next man up. But I, I was going to use special teams. You kind of touched on both of the things I was going to say with special teams, and I've got a six pack. I've got a final item I'm going to get to. But I think your, yours is a good one. Like I think Kaimi is going to factor huge into this game. I think it's going to be a close game. I really do. And I so I would I was going to do just sort of a catch all special teams. Damian Pierce is this new weapon in the kickoff return. It wasn't just the touchdown, John. He had good returns all day long, I thought. There were a couple a couple more that it looked like he was going to break. I really like this new approach with um, with uh, Damian Pierce in the kick return game. And I we talked to him on the postgame show after that loss to the Browns. And his perspective on everything was just so refreshing as far as where he is. Like, he, he flat out said, I'm not – the back they need me to be, I have not attained that yet. You know, and, and he acknowledges like what a difficult transition it's been for him to a new system. Um, he's just man, you just want to root for the guy. He's he's awesome. But as far as like special teams, I'm just going to add on this and then I'll get to a, a final six pack item. Cam Johnson has not punted well the last few games. He's not punted great. He hasn't been the Cam Johnston that we became accustomed to in terms of completely shifting field position. He's had way more punts where you're like, oh, that's short or it's bouncing backwards or whatever. He's had more of that over the last three, four weeks than he had, it feels like, in the previous two and a half seasons uh, as the Houston Texans punter. So he, Kim Johnson needs to kind of get his groove back as well. He better because his contract's up. He's the only player Nick Casario's given a contract of three years to to get him away from the Eagles. And yet, despite having a 40 and a 30, I think, in the last two games, he still had his net more than 40 because he gets them inside the 20. And the thing about Damian Pierce, his attitude's incredible. Just like Jalen Petrie, the two players affected the most by what D'Amico Ryans is doing this year on offense and defense are Damian Pierce and Jalen Petrie. And hopefully with an offseason after this season, they can figure it out next season. Yep, absolutely. My last one, John, I'll just keep it real simple. Nico Collins, like he's the one plus plus weapon that you've got offensively out there. Um, he, I, I, what I take solace in is the fact that they lost Tank Dell very early in that loss to the Denver Broncos, or I'm sorry, the win over the Denver Broncos. They lost Tank Dell pretty early in that game, and Nico still had his biggest game of the season with nine catches for 191 yards. I think if I think to your point, if they don't turn the ball over and Nico has a monster game like that, I can't envision a scenario where the Titans do enough to win this football game. If you've got Nico out there getting nearly 200, I'm not saying he's got to get 200 yards, but he needs to be the guy that we've seen flash at times this year as being giving glimpses of being a number one type receiver. And he's going to have to do it without the one a out there tank Dell. So Nico Collins, John, if they're going to win this game, a big Nico Collins game, I think is going to be necessary. And Stroud will have three receivers, Noah Brown, as well as tight end Dalton Schultz and Brevin Jordan has made big catches and at least one good play mm-hmm. in each game. I think they're okay at receiver. The key is, can they give Stroud time to throw, which he hasn't gotten in the last two games against Denver and the Jets. Yep. And Denver, he ended up throwing for like 294 yards. And the main thing is he doesn't turn it over. Right now, there's only Three teams that have a better plus-minus differential than the Texans at plus eight. Like the Browns are like minus seven. Yeah. Because Flacco's had five interceptions. Let's see, five interceptions in the last two games, and they've won both because they're scoring mm-hmm. a lot of points. But uh, in in this case, 
They're not turning it over, and that's a big reason they're where they are, playing for a chance to make the playoffs. Yep, absolutely. All right, John, so before we get to the mailbag and the for real or frugazies, what's your prediction on the game? I think the Texans are going to win this game 23-20. to 23-20, yeah, 20-17 Texans. So you and I are the same mind. It's fairly low-scoring game, won by a field goal. Um, and hopefully if that's the case, then next week gets really fun. I mean, if they win this game, next week gets really fun. It's basically the playoffs start. If they win this game, the playoffs start Monday. Because if the Colts can lose their game this weekend against the Raiders, fall to 8-8, eight and eight, and if the Texans are 9-7 and seven, and the Colts beat the Texans to where they're both 9-8, and eight, the Colts get the tiebreaker over the Texans. Um, so, because they'll be two and zero against them head to head. So, um, if they win this game, the Texans, the playoff, the playoffs basically start on Monday for them. Like the, the, I'm sorry, that's like okay. the Jaguars, the Colts yeah. have losing records at home. Yep. Yeah. 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 So let's, uh, I mean, let's go, let's see what happens, but let's beat the, beat the hell out of the Titans first. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, John, um, let's do some mailbag. I've got five mailbag questions here. So we're doing kind of a mini mailbag and a mini fugazis here. To get, make sure you guys get everything that you need from the Utopia Football Podcast this week. And I'll start it off overseas, John. Our guy Neil in Liverpool says, the uh, thing I'm looking most forward to in the offseason, not the draft or free agency, it's the unveiling of the new Texans uniforms. There was talk last offseason of an H-Town Blue uniform in the works. I'm hoping they make the H-Town Blue the team's primary uniform and team colors. It would send a message that this is a fresh start and a new era of exciting football under D'Amico and CJ, and it would turn the page uh, of the dysfunction of the past few years. What say you guys? He says, love you guys. You're the best Texans podcast out there. Thank you. John, what do you say about Neil and Liverpool's contention that they should completely revamp the Texan uniforms? Well, Neil, uh, we've seen markups, and they're going to change them. They're going to unveil them at the draft. But the, the, the renaissance has already began. They don't need a new start next season. The new start – began this season and i think they got to be true to their heritage bob mcnair the founder loved the three colors and they might want to put a light blue stripe in there somewhere i don't think it's going to happen but uh i'm i i picked we all got to pick you know top secret of, of what we liked and there was clearly one that i thought was better and i told every Boston organization. If y'all don't go with this one, you're nuts. And they wouldn't tell me what anybody else thought. And they can change them still because they weren't etched in stone. But I can't yeah. wait to see them because fans make such a big deal over uniform changes. And uh, if that'll get fans even, can you imagine, Sean, 
if they made the playoffs or missed on a tiebreaker but had a winning record, how fired up people are going to be about Stroud and Ryan's in the second season and what should be a really good offseason and a uniform change. Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun to talk and write about. No doubt. No doubt. I think that's kind of Neil's point. I know you've, you've made the point, John, the Renaissance has started already, but like the, I think the feeling of freshness going into next year, that this really is a new era. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been privy to some of the, the uniform stuff as, as well. Um, and I, my big takeaway, I don't think I'm giving anything away here. My big takeaway is they, this isn't something where they're just kicking the past to the curb and it's going to be this brand new thing and they're going to look totally different or whatever they are very respectful of what the original color scheme, the original logo, the logo's not going anywhere. Um, so it, it, anybody thinking that this new uniform is going to be something they're going to unveil it. You'll be like, Oh my God, this is brand new. Holy cow. Um, it's not, I, I, I mean, I think there's going to be subtle changes to it and subtle tweaks. I think people are going to like it ultimately when it comes down because people like new people love the red helmets, John, they love, I love the red helmets. Everybody loves red helmets and that ought to be their helmet every time they play. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So there you go, Neil. Um, next one, John Edmund hack says a, a new question here. The, uh, the weather was perfect this past week. Uh, cool 68 to 70 degrees, clear skies in the day of the, of, of last week's home game. However, the roof stayed closed. Have the Texans decided, I love these first two questions about uniforms in the roof. They're in the middle of a playoff push people. Come on. Um, have the Texans decided to never open the roof again for a home game? No, they can't decide that. No, they they. Why would they decide that? Yeah, I think, well, you think that they would decide that because they think it's louder in there and gives them more of a home advantage. Uh, no, they can't say that. I think they. My standard thing is when they open a roof on a great day, is they've seen rain within a thousand miles, yeah. and the fact is. There is a section of stands that has 12,000 people in it when the people are there in which the sun shines on them and it is about 10 degrees warmer. And one time they did that, and I think every one of the 12,000 people called a complaint the next day and blew out their switchboards and their computer. So anytime it's, if it's 70 degrees, it's 80 on them. If it's 60, it'd be perfect. But fans like to see it. But for whatever reason, and I think it's because it's louder yeah. and gives them, they think it gives them more in a home advantage. Like with the Astros in 2005, Roger Clemens at his age loved to pitch when he was indoors. And mm-hmm. there's no humidity, no weather factor. And baseball made them open the games in the World Series and it got swept by the White Sox. Yep. Um, all right, next one, John. This is from our guy Joe Q, frequent emailer, who, by the way, apologized for getting the trivia question wrong last week that he gave us. Remember, where the, the two teams that haven't been to an AFC title game, and he said Dolphins, and he was embarrassed. So he, uh, he that's all right, Joe. We all screw things we up. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, Joe. He says the Texans fan base has joyfully exited a three year hitch in bad team jail. It seems the causes most discussed for the recent catastrophe are Deshaun's venality and Jack Easterby. Might a case be made that the real root cause was a botched early tenure as owner by Cal McNair, perhaps due to Bob McNair's passing, that Cal maybe wasn't quite ready yet for the rigors and the decisions of of, of being the owner. John, what say you about that? Well, I can tell you exactly what was going on. Bob McNair was ill way before he died. Cal McNair took over the team uh, after the 2017 season. They went 11 and five in 2018. They lost to uh, uh, Indianapolis and Andrew Luck. Then in 2019, they won the division again, and they and they beat Buffalo in the playoffs. And the problem was because of that, he gave Bill O'Brien total control. 
and Bill did a terrible job when he had total control. And I don't care how bad Jack Easterby was. He didn't affect personnel. He didn't have the final say. And O'Brien did. In the year he had it, the year before, he was named general manager. And he just made one bad deal after another. And Brian Gain let Bill make the final say when he was the general manager before Easterby got him run. But uh, those were the reasons. As Cal McNair put too much faith in Bill O'Brien as a personnel guy, and it took him four games into the 2020 season to rectify that. And then it took him midway through last season to get rid of Easterby. Yeah. I, to the point, John, like I know you're pointing out, O'Brien, it was Cal who determined that Bill would get that power. Though, right. So I think to the That's point the biggest of mistake question, he made. Yeah. I think to Joe's question, like, yeah, you could make a case that the real root cause was that Cal botched some things early on. Now, he, he now he's making good decisions. Like, I, right. I, John, I've said, I they said won. They were 11 and 5 and 10 and 6 his first two years in charge. Absolutely. I, I know. Absolutely. I've said all along I, that, and, and when it was really bad, people would roll their eyes when I'd say this, but I would say Cal McNair is the type of owner that you want as, as a fan. Absolutely. Of the team because he's going to, if he makes good hires, then it's going to be an environment that's conducive to good hires going and succeeding. And I think Nick Casario is a good general manager. I think D'Amico Ryans is absolutely a good head coach. And in turn, those two guys have hired C.J. Stroud to be their quarterback, and that's been a good hire. So, you know, you know, Cal, he's fixed a lot of the things that he's that, that he's screwed up. Now they've got to go win football games. But I, I just want my owner to give all the resources necessary to uh, to the people that he hires and hire good people. That's it. That's all I want them to stay do. Stay out of the way. And stay out of the way. And I think if it's the hardest one to do is the hiring the good people. Hiring is one of the hardest things in any line of business to make sure you're getting the right people. And I think he's got the right, I think he's got the right group now. He's going to give them all the money they need and all the resources they need. He's never said no to anything that we've heard of before that they need behind the scenes in order to be successful. And he's sure as hell going to stay out of the way. I think Cal's happy flipping his burgers at training camp and making sure that his good people can go do their thing. You know, we got to also give credit to Hannah McNair because yes. Cal's the first to admit she plays a huge role, not in personnel. They stay out of personnel, but everything else that goes on in the organization, they oversee it. They're there every day. They want to know what's going on. Casario runs big decisions by him. And like Cal, calls his mom every day and tells her what's going on. Janice McNair, who's the controlling owner. They do keep up with what's going on, but they don't say no. Yeah, they don't meddle. Um, all right, let's two more, John, in the mailbag. Then we'll do some quick fugazis here. Lexi in Deer Park, aside from draft night, what's been the thing that Nick Casario has done this year that has impressed you all the most? Work closely with D'Amico Ryans to get the kind of players D'Amico wants in free agency that fit his system, like Sheldon Rankins. I was told D'Amico just had to have Sheldon Rankins because he thought he would fit well at tackle next to Malik Collins. So Casario's not telling D'Amico, okay, I like this guy. You don't. I'm signing him. You find a way to play him. That's not the way it works because the head coach has it in his contract. He controls the game day roster. So if Nick gives him a player – he doesn't want, he doesn't have to play him. So yeah. they work really well together. And I think it showed in free agency more than anything they've done, including the draft, because the draft was easy to take Stroud. And even though it was, he gave up a lot to get Anderson, he found Arizona willing to do it. But signing those free agents to fit well, like Dalton Schultz, Devin Singletary, Sheldon Rankins, they have done a really good job. 
I like the free agency, John. I would add to that. I kind of like how active Nick's been since the trade deadline and picking veterans up off the waiver wire. You know what I mean? Like I think Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett has played important snaps for this team and played well. Adrian Amos is a veteran safety and he picked up Kareem Jackson. So they've got at least got a little veteran oomph in the backfield. I don't know if either of them are as good as Jimmy Ward when Jimmy Ward's healthy, but I certainly think they're on the level, if not better than Eric Murray and MJ Stewart, who are two guys who got knocked out for the Boy, season. They've had a lot well. of safeties go out. Man, they, they, they I have. forgot and, about those two. Right. And for, right. And for, to, to get a guy like Adrian Amos and Kareem Jackson at this juncture to, you know, to make those moves, I think is pretty savvy. Um, and I'm, I'm missing one. Oh, and then Tier you know, and DeAndre Houston Carson has been picked up and he's made some big plays. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I, I, I kind of like the in-season sort of tweaking that Nick has done in order to kind of, you know, keep this, you know, keep this train moving. Let's get to the postseason and see what happens. I'm with um, you. I, I think Nick's had a good year. Um, last one, John, our guy, Dave in Round Rock. So Case Keenum started and won the game against the Titans two weeks ago. Frankly, I think the defense won that game, but Case did okay. He did diddly squat against the Browns. Who's starting this Sunday if CJ is not? I'm perfectly fine if it's Mills. What say you? John, we expect it to be CJ, but as you and I pointed out earlier in this podcast, we've seen players have setbacks with the concussion protocol uh, as recently as Michael Pittman last week, who was cleared and then not cleared. If CJ doesn't start this game for some reason against the Titans, and I'm knocking on wood that that doesn't happen, who would you rather see start that game? Davis? I think Bobby Sloick had a tree hit him on the head last week, and he thought rotating the quarter – quarterbacks was a good idea fortunately he got away from that quickly and went with case and then pulled him and mills got garbage time flip of the coin it's a big game Mm -hmm. mills has played well against the titans beat him up there last year he didn't do a lot but they won and then he had a great game here the last game of his rookie year even though they lost by three in a game that titans needed to win to get home field advantage i would go with mills i would have gone with mills up there but they may like Case's experience and Case's big game experience, but boy, Case was not good against the Browns. No, but I would think honestly, well, they yeah, it's not like Mills is an unknown quantity to them, as you pointed out. He's played against them a handful of times before, but maybe in this offense, they've not seen him as much. So it's something that's you know, it's some sort of diversion where they've had a whole game to go actually go against Case Keenum uh, a couple weeks ago. It's if this is what we're getting down to, it's suboptimal to begin with. So I don't have a strong feeling either way, but I'm with you. I would start Davis Mills. I just there was too much of the old Keenum that was out there against the Browns on Sunday, John, with him running straight backwards when the pocket would collapse oof, and oof. throwing the ball up for grabs. Like there was just way too much of that for me. I feel like at least Davis is gonna kind of you know keep things on time. Um, all right, so there's our mailbag. We appreciate it. HOU mailbag at gmail.com. HOU mailbag at gmail.com. All right, John, do we want to give the people the for real or fugazis? I got five of them in front of sure. me. You ready? All right, let's give them a few. For real or fugazi? We're giving you guys everything this week. Get the whole buffet because we weren't here for you on Tuesday. That's on me. I took vacation this week. Um, so for real or fugazi, the way it works, if you're new to the podcast, I read a sentence to John. John determines whether or not he agrees with it or if he doesn't agree with it or thinks I'm stupid or thinks what I just said is silly. Well, if he agrees with it, he says for real. If he thinks it's silly, then he says, Gazy. Ooh, Gazy. It's Italian for counterfeit or fake or Sean's a moron. All right. Um, so, John, I've got five of them here. Um, speaking of draft night, the biggest sports story in Houston this past year, in 2023, was the back-to-back drafting of C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson on draft night. For real? Jeez, that's okay, well, unquestionable. That's, was okay, there a number two? 
Well, the hiring of D'Amico Ryans is a pretty big oh, story. Oh, use that on draft night. No, no, no. The biggest Houston sports story for 2023. Oh, Houston sports story. No, yeah. the hiring of D'Amico. The head coach is more important than players. Okay. If so you've got the bad head coach. So it is for real. And, no, no, no. Uh, no, 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 no. Back up, back up, John. You got to listen. Oh, Fugazi, it was not. D'Amico was. Yeah, yeah. The draft, it was, so it wasn't draft night. It was D'Amico's no, hiring. D'Amico hiring. That's the most important position in any organization. I, I will say that draft night popped the crowd pretty good out at Miller sure Outdoor did. Theater. Yeah. If they waited good. till draft night to hire D'Amico, I'm pretty sure it'd been a buzz there too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> if they hired, if they we did. We finally it, made a decision. Yeah. If we did like a LeBron, the decision kind of thing out at Miller Outdoor Theater in January, and D'Amico had five hats in front of him with all the openings, and he reached for the Texans. <laughs> no, first he reaches for the Broncos hat, fakes it, and then grabs the Texans hat and put it on. And then we play Clay Walker until the cows come home. <laughs> all right. Um, John, one more Texans one here, and then I've got a few others. Um, Jimmy Ward suffered his third injury of the season, not even a concussion. He missed two games of the hip early in the year. He missed a few games of the hamstring in the middle of the year. Now his season is ending prematurely with a quad injury. John, for real or for Gazy, Jimmy Ward cannot be trusted to be a core member of the Texans in 2024. Well, that's absolutely true because he has injury, he was injury prone with the 49ers. But because yeah. he's such a great leader and he can play either safety and he can drop down and cover slot receivers, he's invaluable. D'Amico needed him to help him establish the culture, help teach the defense. But you got to worry about him getting hurt because he's a physical player and he's older. So next year, you got to hold your breath every time he hits somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's, um, I love Jimmy Ward. I think he's great. He's under contract next year too. For those wondering, he was not a one-year deal. He was a two-year deal, Jimmy Ward. So he is under contract for next year. Um, all right, next one, John. Uh, I'm sure you saw the story on Jair Alexander of the Green Bay Packers, yeah. where he chose to walk out with the game captains of his team, the Green Bay Packers, against the Carolina Panthers, even though he was not selected to be a captain. But the game was in his hometown of Charlotte. He thought it would be cool if he could be one of the captains. So he anointed himself one and went out there and not only represented himself as a captain, he actually called the coin toss, got it right. And when they asked him, what do you want to do? He said, we'll play defense. And the referees evidently looked at him and said, you mean defer, right? Because if he was being <laughs> truthful, that would have meant that the Panthers could have chosen to get the ball in the first half and in the second half of that game. Um, he got bailed out by the referees, it sounds like, from his description of the situation here to where the refs look at him and said, you mean defer? And he's like, yeah, whatever, defer. Yeah, sure. Um, I can't believe it ever got to this. Jair Alexander has since been suspended for a game uh, for a game by, uh, for a conduct detrimental to the team. John, for real or Fugazi, in this Jair Alexander situation, the Panthers should be pissed that the referees gave him a second chance to admit he wanted to defer, not be on defense first. They should. That yeah. almost going way back to 1962 when the Dallas Texans, who are the Chiefs, and the Houston Oilers played in the championship game. Third year in a row, the Oilers ran it, and they asked, uh, I think it was Sid Blanks, their running back, what do you want to do? And overtime said, we'll kick. Instead of take the wind, which was bad, they said, we'll kick. But they won it double overtime. So it's very uh, – it, I've never heard anything like that. And you think on the surface it's kind of cute, but he's out there in a playoff race in Green Bay. They're trying to win a wild card berth. If he should have asked the coach, can you name me a captain for today? Uh, we want teams to suspend players and not 
rely on the league to do it. So it's, it seems kind of harsh in a playoff race, but I'm glad they put their foot down because he could have cost them the game. I can't believe the referees gave like bailed him out and said, you mean I defer, know. right? I cannot believe I guess that's he had this incredulous look on his face, like, duh. Yeah. He obviously yeah. had not been instructed by the coach what to do because he wasn't supposed to be out there. He still couldn't believe he still didn't understand the whole gist of the whole choosing to be on defense versus deferring to the second half thing, even in the interviews he was doing after the game. He's a clown. It was it was, I mean, it was highly entertaining audio, but my God. Um, I don't think right, we'll John. be seeing him next year make any calls at uh, midfield. No, God, I hope not. I mean, unless they can't you – know, hey, oh, there he goes again, Coach. You're like a dog that runs away. Like, oh, Jair, get back here. Um, all right, two more, John. Um, Russell Wilson was benched this week as the Denver Broncos quarterback. Really? The Broncos I heard are, that. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, but the Broncos are going to have major cap issues over the next couple of years. They could have been a whole lot worse if Russell Wilson had gotten hurt somewhere along the way. For real or for gazy, John, Russell Wilson's future in the NFL is is one of those one-year bridge quarterbacks to play ahead of a highly drafted rookie. I agree. That's for real because he's going to get cut. He's going to be designated as June 1st camp cap casualty. That Teams can do that with two, two guys, not wait till June 1st. That will divide up the hit, but it's still significant. He'll go somewhere and play for the minimum because the Broncos are going to be paying him millions and millions of dollars. And as it – I don't think any trade will ever be worse than Herschel Walker to Minnesota for what turned out to be, I think, eight players when Jimmy Johnson took players and could not disclose as part of the contract that if he cut them, he got number one picks. But he cut them, and he got number one picks, and they went Mm -hmm. to three Super Bowls in four years. And we think the Watson deal is bad. This one for the the Broncos and the Seahawks is the second worst in NFL history. But Wilson will go somewhere. He hadn't played bad this year. He's handled it. In a first-class manner, somebody will bring him in and hope he mentors a younger quarterback. Where's somebody like, say, Aiden O'Connell at Oakland right now? Russell Wilson will go as a starter next year. Or another team that has a young guy they were trying to develop, or a rookie, but he will get a job and he'll be really cheap. John, the one thing I would say about the Herschel Walker trade versus the Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson trades, because the Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson trades are very similar, obviously. Um, Both got huge paydays. Deshaun got huge, huge payday the same day of the trade. The, the, the teams trading those players received a bunch of draft capital. The Seahawks actually got some players, too, in return in that deal. The deals were made within 48 hours of each other, which is crazy. Like, Russell Wilson got traded on March 16th. Deshaun Watson got traded on March 18th. And they are two of the worst trades in the history of the league. The, the one thing I would say – about the Herschel Walker trade to where it's not as bad is that to my knowledge, the Vikings didn't turn around and give Herschel Walker tens of millions of guaranteed money in a contract. You know, no, like they, they did not. The, the, the Browns and the Broncos have seriously hindered themselves over these next few years. The Broncos with no more Russell Wilson, but having to pay off $85 million in dead cap money. And the, I mean, the Browns cap situation, John with Deshaun on the roster is a mess the next three years they've only accounted for like less than they've accounted for less than like 15 million of the 230 million on the cap so far because they've shoved so much money into 2024 through 2026 with Deshaun so they either have to kind of really really get the draft right and find some cheap vets um, or they've got to buy into Deshaun and extend some of that money out into the future which means committing to him for even more years after that so I I I mean I it's not ideal for either team right now 
but boy, the only th- the only saving grace for the Browns, ironically, is that somehow they're in the mix to get to the Super Bowl this year. Like they could get to the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. That's the only saving grace, and that's got nothing to do with Deshaun, other than the fact that Deshaun got injured to clear the way for them to go get Joe Flacco. It's crazy. And just remember, the last thing they saw of Deshaun Watson, fourteen of fourteen in the second half at Baltimore, where they've won, and they're not yeah. thinking about anything before that. Just that second half. Yeah. All right, last one, John. The college football playoff championship game is right over there at NRG Stadium. I'm looking out the window at it right now from our studios here. Um, I think everybody here locally is rooting for Texas versus Alabama. That would be a big ticket. But, John, they're all going to be disappointed. The college football playoff championship game is going to be the top two seeds, Michigan and Washington, for real or for gazy? Gazy. It's going to be a rematch between Steve Sarkeesian and his his mentor, Nick Saban, and he's not beating Saban twice in one season. Mm, so you got Bama winning the national championship. John, that's actually what originally the Fereal or Fugazi was. It was I was going to say UT Alabama, but you'd only said Fugazi once during this thing. I know you like saying <laughs> Fugazi, so I flipped it to Michigan and Washington. I would hate to see Michigan win the national championship and Harbaugh hoist that trophy. I think it would be hysterical to see. I don't root for Michigan, but I root for drama. That would be drama. That would finest. be drama to the nth degree. Yep. All right, uh, John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? Got a C.J. Stroud column, got an Andre Johnson story, and I got a column on uh, the AFC South race and where it stands and what's going on and how the Titans can play the spoilers role by beating the Texans and Jaguars. Love it. Love it. Right, you can get all that at SportsRadio610.com. You can email the uh, the mailbag, mailbag at gmail.com. Big thanks to James Jackson, our, our producer, for getting the podcast out to you guys in a timely fashion, and you can click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast to make sure you automatically get Utopia Football Podcast. John, I enjoyed it as always. John, thank you very much. Happy New Year to everyone. We'll be back soon. Can't wait. I'll see you out at Texas Countdown out uh, just outside the stadium at 11.15 Sunday morning. Be there. All right, good deal. All right, for James and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Happy New Year, preemptively. All of you, happy holidays as well. Have a great weekend. See you on Sunday.